Have you ever tried traveling somewhere, but for the life of you could not reach your destination? Have you had one of those experiences where it seemed like you were driving around in circles? I remember one time when I was living for a semester in Colorado Springs and back in college, a group of us were going to a camping site. We wanted to camp out in the open Colorado outdoors. Well, we were traveling there in the dark at night. It was pitch black, could not see where we were going. And it seemed like we were driving forever. And then all of a sudden, I saw a landmark out of the side of the window, which we passed an hour earlier. We had literally driven in a huge circle. We were no further down the road than when we had begun hours before. In a similar way this morning, we will find that Jonah is nowhere closer to his destination than he was back in chapter one, verse one. You see, God had commissioned him to go somewhere and he is no closer to that destination. Well, we are continuing our study this morning in the book of Jonah. We'll be looking at chapter three. Jonah is one of the minor prophets of the Bible, not because it's lesser in importance, but because it's one of the shorter prophets of the Old Testament. And friends, this is on page eight or 727 in the Pew Bible in front of you, page 727. Well, friends, back in chapter one, we saw God commissioned Jonah to go to Nineveh, that great city in the Assyrian Empire, to go and warn them to repent. Otherwise, God was going to destroy their city. Well, in chapter one, we find that Jonah fled from Nineveh, fled from God. And chapter one is God disciplining Jonah for disobeying his command and commission. In chapter two, we find that God actually saves Jonah from perishing at the bottom of the sea, at the doors of Sheol. He was looking upon death in the face. God showed mercy to Jonah by sending a great fish to swallow him up and spit him back out upon dry land. And not only did God save Jonah, his fleeing rebellious prophet, but he saved the pagan sailors on the ship that were with him when they repented and believed as well. Well, as we've seen so far, friends, the book of Jonah is not at all about that big fish, is it? It's all about God, and it is all about the love and mercy that he shows his people, people from every language, tribe, and nation. And for this reason, our main idea and three points this morning are going to be about God and his mission to save us. So our main idea this morning is this. God's word is unstoppable in powerfully accomplishing its mission it set out to do. God's word is unstoppable in powerfully accomplishing the mission it set out to do. We'll see this in three points. One, God's mission to save is plan A. Number two, God's word powerfully saves those headed for their graves. 
And three, God's mercy overflows wherever it goes. Point number one, God's mission to save is plan A. God's mission to save is plan A. We see this in verses one to four. Follow along with me. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Well, in verses one and two, we see that God is recommissioning Jonah, isn't he? He's recommissioning him a second time to go to Nineveh, warn them of the wrath and destruction to come if they do not repent of their evil and violence. And we as readers, we're experiencing a sense of deja vu, aren't we? We have the impression of we're starting the book over. It's a new beginning. The story starts over and both Jonah and Nineveh have a second chance. And the second time of commanding Jonah underscores, underscores God's determination to save Nineveh and to use Jonah for that mission. God's mission is to save a wicked city from their sins. And God's mission to save is plan A. And by that, I mean there, there is no other plan B, C, D, or E. That is God's plan. Well, God gives this same mission to Jonah as he did back in chapter 1, verse 1. But there's a couple slight differences. Back in chapter 1, God commands Jonah to call out against that great city, to call out against it. In chapter 3 here, he says to call out to that city of Nineveh. And this slight new preposition that Jonah uses here, it softens the commission from a sense of condemning Nineveh to proclaiming to Nineveh. So the better way to read it would be proclaim to it or preach to it. The Hebrew literally says, preach the preaching. And in good English, we're going to say, preach that message, proclaim the message. So the difference is slight, but it lacks the confrontational meaning of chapter one, and it allows a little bit of uncertainty. At the very least, this slight difference foreshadows the mercy that God is going to show Nineveh. And a second difference is in the motive of it. Back in chapter one, the motive for Jonah calling out against Nineveh was because the evil of Nineveh, their wickedness, had come up before the face of God. But here, the motive is replaced with the content of the proclamation. What does God say here? He says, proclaim to it the message that I tell you. The emphasis this time is not on the reason for the commission, but is the divine control of the message and the messenger. You see, God is not giving Jonah the author's pen to write whatever he wants to say, is he? No, he is giving Jonah his message. It is God's word. It is God's message. 
God will use Jonah to deliver it to accomplish his goal of redeeming a people for himself. Well, dear Christian, we don't need to make up anything when we share the good news of Christ, do we? We simply say what God has already said. We may feel ashamed sometimes to share God's word with our friends, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, because it might be rejected or make us look bad. We might be rejected. We might lose a friend. We might be afraid that they will see us as close-minded, bigoted, hateful, unloving, politically incorrect. But friends, God's word will make us look like that in the eyes of the world. The reason we preach and teach and live out God's word is not so that a carnal, perishing world can see us. It's because what we are saying is eternal life. Our message is life everlasting. The word of cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's why we say what God has already said here in his word. That's why we join in God's plan A to save sinners. We join in on his mission and say his words. In verse three, Jonah obeys God and goes to Nineveh. And this city is so big, it takes three days to walk across it. We're given the initial impression that Jonah has repented of fleeing from God, aren't we? But we saw last time in his prayer that he's still being self-centered. He's still objecting to God's mission. He still does not want God to save his enemies, the Ninevites. We can see through his superficial act of obedience. And so while Jonah's compliance is an improvement from his running away back in chapter one, chapter four will confirm for us that Jonah still objects to God's commission. Well, we read that Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. And we know now that its city walls were a hundred feet tall. The walls were so thick, three chariots could race past one another with ease. It had 1,500 towers, 200 feet tall. Folks, this was a big city. It was an exceedingly great city in the known world of that day. But literally, in the text here, it was a great city belonging to God. Here we see the word used conveys possession, ownership, sovereignty. The author is making a bold claim that this city doesn't belong to the king of that time. It belongs ultimately to God. And so we find why God has such a determination, such interest in saving Nineveh, because Nineveh, that great city, belongs to him. You see, Nineveh was important to be important to God because he wanted to show compassion on it. Just like we've been seeing in the book of Matthew, that Jesus looked upon the crowds and had compassion on them. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Well, so too, God looks upon that great city of Nineveh and he sees them the same way and has compassion on them. 
In verse four, we come and find the only sentence of prophecy in the entire book. It's one sentence, and it's only five Hebrew words. One sentence. Jonah says, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You see, prophets normally validated that their prophecies that they were given, giving was straight from God. But what is, Jonah doesn't even mention God. He doesn't mention that this message is coming from God. He doesn't validate that he is authoritative in his message. And this just further shows that he is still in objection to God sending him to the Ninevites. He says, 40 days and the city will be overthrown. Well, why 40 days? There's a couple of other 40-day time periods in the Old Testament, if you remember the stories. One is the flood narrative. It rained for 40 days, 40 nights. And the other is when Israel worshipped the golden calf, Moses, their leader, interceded on the mountain for them with God to save them for 40 days. Both occur in the context of God's judgment that was due upon the entire population, and they were in danger of his judgment. You see, the flood narrative reminds us of the universal scope of God's moral governance. The statement given in Genesis 6-5 serves as the same statement relevant to Nineveh, that everyone, their intent was evil all the time. That is explaining Nineveh. And then the allusion to Moses' intercession for the people of Israel, when God was about to exterminate the entire uh, Hebrew nation because of their idolatry with the golden calf, it suggests that in 40 days, it's an opportunity for supplication and for prayer. Moses interceded for the nation for, for, for 40 days. But here in our story this morning, Jonah's not interceding for Nineveh, is he? He went there to say what he needed to say, and he was going to sit back and watch God destroy them. And so Nineveh is left alone to intercede on their own behalf, to petition to God for their own sins. Well, these two illusions, the flood and Moses' intercession upon the mountain for Israel, are two possible outcomes for Nineveh, aren't they? If the city does not listen and they fail to obey God's command to repent, well, the fate will be that of the worldwide flood, destruction. If they respond to God's warning and they repent and believe, turn from their wickedness, their evil ways, then the 40 days will symbolize the 40 days of intercession with Moses, where God relented of destroying them and he showed mercy. This word for overthrown, it's the same word that the text uses to describe God destroying the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah when he rained brimstone and hellfire down on them. And so you can see when Jonah is walking around Nineveh saying 40 days and it will, the city will be overthrown, there is a great weight to what he is saying, isn't there? Listen to the prophet Jeremiah, what he says. In chapter 18, verses 5 to 11. Then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. 
If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I intended to do to it. So friends, the word overthrow here kind of has a double meaning, doesn't it? It, has, it can have the sense of changing or reforming or transformation. The meaning opens up to the possibility of interpreting Jonah's one sentence of prophecy as 40 days yet and the city will be reformed. And so Jonah's message may very well have contained some ambiguity. Jonah obviously went into that city thinking of the former, didn't he? Thinking God's going to destroy the city. But God may have another plan in view for Nineveh. Just like the 40-day time period, the verb to overthrow suggests two possible fates. Destruction by a physical overthrowing of the city or reformation by a spiritual overthrowing of the city's evil and wickedness behavior. Well, we are shown how God operates through the using the means of his own people to deliver his words and start a, a citywide revival. Well, friends, do we recognize that it is not anything in us that will cause someone to go from disbelief to belief? You see, we can be the most eloquent speaking, most persuasive debater in the entire world, but if God is not in it, our words are going to fall upon death ears. God was using an obstinate prophet to proclaim his message to a wicked, rebellious city, wasn't he? He used Jonah, even when Jonah was obstinate, so that he might, the city might turn from their sin and believe in him to experience his great salvation. Brothers and sisters, the gospel message is the power of God for salvation. We're commanded to share this good news, aren't we? We sow the seeds of God's word to those around us, and others come by and they water those seeds that we had planted. But brothers and sisters, God and God alone changes a heart of stone and makes it a heart of flesh so that upon hearing the word of God, they repent and believe in this good news. It is God alone who causes the seed of his word to sprout and to flourish and to grow and grow into fruition and produce fruit in the heart of a person. So brothers and sisters, be encouraged this morning. Be encouraged that the response of someone you are sharing the good news about Christ to, their answer their response, it's not upon your shoulders. You can't bear that kind of weight. I can't bear that kind of weight. You see, someone's experience of being born again from above that we read about in John chapter 3, it's the work of the Holy Spirit, who is God. We are not God, and friends, that is reassuring. It's a relief. Once you realize that we 
simply, once you realize that we are simply commanded to share the good news, and it's God who changes hearts and saves them, and they're reborn from above, that lifts a tremendous weight off your shoulders. So friends, be obedient in proclaiming this good news of Christ. Just like Jonah did, even though he was reluctant. And friends, when you share that good news, sit back and watch God act. Watch him save. Watch him change souls and save them. Only as he can do. But friends, even though Jonah wasn't on board with God's plan to save the city of Nineveh from their evil ways, he proclaimed God's message anyways, didn't he? But the power of God was not in Jonah. It was in the message. Friends, the power of God is not in us. Don't walk around carrying that weight, that it's up to you to convince someone or persuade someone to believe. The gospel message can save sinners from their sin. It can reconcile people back to God, their creator. So friends, embrace the power of God that is in the proclamation of the message, not in yourself. Well, not only is God's mission to save his plan A, but secondly, his word powerfully saves. Point number two, God's word powerfully saves those headed for their graves. God's word powerfully saves those headed for their graves. We see this in verses five to nine. Follow along with me. The people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Well, friends, this section here parallels chapter one, doesn't it? With the pagan sailors on the ship, just as the sailors were Gentiles who were responsive to God's word and they believed, so too the Ninevites are responsive and they believe in God upon hearing the word of God. In verse five, this word for believed, it's the first word in the Hebrew. This is emphasizing the immediacy the quickness of the people's response to repent, isn't it? What does the Ninevites' quick response show us about God's ability to bring people to himself? What does it, how does it encourage you to proclaim God's word, to proclaim it to others? You see, the people of Nineveh repented at the minimal revelation offered to them by Jonah. One sentence. The Pharisees in Jesus' time, they had the full revelation of God in the person of Jesus, didn't they? They saw him raise the dead. They saw him heal the sick. 
cast out demons, but they would not believe. Jesus told the Pharisees that Nineveh would rise up in the judgment to condemn them for their failure to repent and believe in him. Friends, we have the full revelation of God and God's word in the Bible, don't we? And brothers and sisters, God's word is sufficient and able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ whom God sent on our behalf. So the people of Nineveh, they believed and they put on sackcloth and they sat in ashes. You see, sackcloth back in these Old Testament times, it was clothing made of rough animal hair. It was rough. It was usually made from a goat or a camel. And wearing this rough textured clothing, these claws, they symbolized one's sorrow or mourning or lamentation or repentance. Sackcloth was uncomfortable to wear. The coarse fabric caused physical discomfort. So if you think of a burlap bag, it's something like that, wearing as a garment. In verse 6, this word reached the king, didn't it? The word reached the king, and he humbled himself. What did he do in verse 6? The king got up off of his throne. He's relinquishing his authority over the entire city. He takes off his royal robe, showing wealth and prestige, and he puts on sackcloth, that rough animal skin. And he joins the rest of his subjects, his people, and sits in the dirt. He sits in the ashes, and he pleads for mercy to God to save them. This king of Nineveh is indistinguishable from the rest of his people. He's one of them. Well, friends, Jesus, likewise, he got up off his throne in heaven, didn't he? He left his throne, and he became one of us indistinguishable from any other person. He submitted himself to God in the form of a servant by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so, friends, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The king of Nineveh stepped off his throne, didn't he? He became like his people so that he could receive mercy from God. But Jesus, he stepped off his throne to give mercy to his people. He lived a perfect life obedient to God his Father, didn't he? A perfect life that so that he can show mercy to his people. Where the rest of us, humanity, we fail to live perfectly. We fall short of the glory of God. And then he obediently went to the cross and willingly died for us in our place, taking upon the full wrath of God, paying the penalty of sin that humanity, humanity deserved. But Jesus rose again from the de dead three days later. God had accepted his death as payment for my sin and your sin. He raised him from the dead. And all those of us in humanity who will repent and believe and trust in this Jesus who lived and died and rose again for us, we are shown mercy. 
Our sins are forgiven. His spirit comes to live within us. Trust in this Jesus, this king of all kings. Well, the king of Nineveh, he issued a proclamation throughout the entire city, a decree that every man and animal would fast, not drink any food or water, put on sackcloth and cry out mightily God to turn away his anger from them. You see, this declaration of judgment was on the entire city, and it's only fitting that the king would decree the entire city to respond in repentance. The people putting on sackcloth in verse 5, it's not contrasting or contradicting uh, verses 6 through 9 where the king decrees them to do so. But verse 5 is fronted in front of that decree to fast and set in uh, ashes and put on sackcloth because Jonah is showing, the author is showing the immediacy of the response of the people to God's word. It is powerful to save Well, friends, do we have a sense of urgency today to repent of our sin when we are confronted with God's word? Church, do we have a sense of urgency to proclaim God's word to people who need to hear it? In verse 9, the king of Nineveh is expressing hope that God might relent of destroying their entire city. So the point of The king saying, who knows if God will relent? Is that if any change occurs, if there is any relent from judgment and destruction, it is solely because God has shown mercy upon the people. Because the people and the king did not deserve God's mercy. They deserved his judgment. You all remember King David in the Old Testament? He had a man killed in battle so he can have his wife Bathsheba and David and Bathsheba have a child. And as a consequence for that sin, the child is then uh, becomes sick. And this is what, listen to what David says when the child is sick. While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Friends, we have been chosen by God the Father to be adopted into his family. God the Son has died and rose again for us to redeem us and purchase us as his own people. And friends, God the Spirit seals us and guarantees our inheritance in heaven with him. So those of us who have experienced this, are we excited to proclaim God's word? He's done all these beautiful and extravagant things for us that we couldn't do on our own. Friends, he saved us. Are we excited to share this news? We have the greatest news of all. Church family, are we excited to share it to those who are perishing around us? Are we concerned for the souls who are perishing around us? Or are we like Jonah? Are we reluctant to proclaim that news? Well, church, we have been planning a vacation Bible uh, school event later this month. 
And it's for the purpose of sharing this good news, isn't it? We are hosting a VBS to reach our community. The families and children in this community who may not know Christ, this is a way that we can join in on God's plan A, God's commission to go and proclaim and make disciples of all nations. It's one way to join in on the commission. Are we concerned for those in our community who do not yet know the saving grace of God? Are we concerned for the children in our community who might, the only way they hear about Jesus is going to this VBS event? Is your heart resonating with Jonah this morning? Is your heart lacking compassion for your neighbor? Oh, friend, repent of your unbelief that God can use you. Repent of entertaining thoughts in your mind that you want to keep this good news to yourself. Ask God to help you to be compassionate when you are not. Compassionate to those who are lost. Ask God to use you in whatever way so that you can be part of his plan A, his commission to save souls to save people, and us to be obedient in making disciples of all the nations. Well, we've seen that God's commission to save is plan A, and that his word powerfully saves. Third, we will see that God's mercy overflows. Point number three, God's mercy overflows wherever it goes. God's mercy overflows wherever it goes. Look at verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. The word used here for the people's evil and God's disaster are one and the same. And so using the same word for evil and disaster It's showing us how connected it is of our human actions and God's divine response. God relented of carrying out his disaster on the city of Nineveh because the people uh, repented of their sin. And so from a temporal perspective, we see that God responds to our human actions. At the same time, from an eternal perspective, we see that God ordains the means and the ends. God uses human repentance and belief to accomplish salvation in the souls of men. So despite the briefness of Jonah's prophecy, the wave of repentance flowed through the city of Nineveh, turning it upside down, and that can only be attributed to God's overflowing mercy. It was nothing that had to do with Jonah. It was all of God and his mercy. Well, some of you may be feeling the tension of God's mercy, his divine means, and our our repentance and belief, and that that tension of, well, God said he was going to destroy them. Why is he changing his mind? You see, friends, prophecy in general is conditional. But one-sided covenants, which God unconditionally guarantees and promises will happen, Those are irrevocable. So think of the covenant God made with Abraham. I'm going to give you 
land and seed and universal blessing. Think of the covenant God made with David. From your line, I will provide a king who will rule my kingdom forever and ever. Those will come to pass. God has decreed those covenants. But prophecies like this one, conditional ones, repent or your city will be overthrown. Those are conditional. And God can and does change his mind in response to human petitions and behavior. So friend, the key is to hold both of these as truths as a gospel, as the Bible presents it. This helps us to understand the character of God. Friends, the mercy of God showed the city of Nineveh. That mercy shown to Nineveh is the same mercy God showed the nation of Israel when they sinned against God and they worshiped that golden calf, isn't it? In fact, the, the last sentence here in chapter three, it's word for word of Exodus thirty-two fourteen. While Israel was molding and fashioning that golden calf, while they were worshiping it as if it were God himself, as if it were God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of bondage and slavery with his strong right arm, as they were singing and dancing and celebrating to this golden calf, Moses was interceding for them. See, the people were dancing and celebrating with the golden calf, and God, in his anger, wanted to wipe them out, didn't he? He wanted to consume them with his great, hot wrath. But Moses, upon that mountain, pleaded and interceded for the people of Israel. He reminded God of the covenant he made with their fathers, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to make a great nation out of them, to possess forever the land that he had promised them. Friends, someone greater than Moses and Jonah has come. Someone else ascended upon a mountain, upon the hill of Golgotha, and pleaded for God to relent from his white-hot wrath that was, should have been poured out on me and upon you for our sin. You see, we're all like those Israelites in the wilderness, worshiping that golden calf. We're singing and dancing in our sin. We're worshiping other gods. We're guilty of doing what is right in our own eyes. We have not worshiped the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, have we? We all fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus left his throne. He left his glorious throne in heaven, the comfort of his throne. He put on human flesh. He became like one of us. He lived the perfect life that you and I can never live. He ascended the hill of Golgotha where he was executed and put to death on a cruel Roman cross of his own free will to be our substitute. There on Golgotha, he took upon himself the full wrath of God that should have been poured out on me and you. He paid the penalty for our sins. He died so that we would be able to turn from our sin, from living from ourselves, and believe in him as the only one who can save us from sin, who can forgive our sin, and who atoned for our sin. You see, just like the city of Nineveh repented of its sin, and God relented from destroying them, and he showed them mercy, 
So too, when one of us repents and believes in this Jesus who came and died for us on our behalf, God relents and shows mercy and compassion to us and does not destroy us. You see, God relents from destroying us in our sin. Christ died when we were still sinners. And if we were reconciled to him through the death of Christ while we were sinners, how much more, having been reconciled to him through faith, shall we be saved through his life? Friends, if you do not know the Lord Jesus this morning, I implore you, repent and trust in this Jesus today, this Jesus today who forgives you of all your sin. We have seen that God's mission to save is plan A. God was determined not only to save the city of Nineveh, but to use Jonah even in his obstinance. And friend, God can and will use you too. Are we willing to participate in his mission? Secondly, God's word powerfully saves those headed for their graves. Are we trusting in the power of the proclamation of the gospel of God? Are we trusting in it to do all the saving work in someone's life? And are we obedient to share and let God do the saving? And third, we saw God's mercy overflows wherever it goes. Whenever and wherever there is a person who repents and believes upon hearing the word of God, upon hearing the news of Jesus Christ, there is evidence of God's mercy overflowing in that person's heart. We have seen that God's word is unstoppable and powerfully accomplishing the mission it set out to do. And friends, that mission is saving a people for himself from their sins. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are in awe of your mercy and grace. Lord, we all deserve to be to be destroyed like the city of Nineveh. We deserve your wrath. So God, we love you and thank you this morning. We worship you this morning that you sent Christ on our behalf, that he paid the penalty of our sins so that we would not have to undergo your judgment. Lord, embolden us. Help us, we pray by your spirit, to proclaim your message, the message that you have told us to say in your word. Help us to reach those in our community. And God, save souls, change their lives. Use your word in this church and in this community because it is the wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.